You may be seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we're saved by Jesus' work, we're changed by Jesus' grace, and we're living on Jesus' mission. And that means that that we're about making disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And how we do that on a Sunday morning includes what we sing. It includes uh, when we take communion, remembering Christ's work for us. And it also includes reading God's word and and hopefully having his story impact our story. And so we've been in this series all fall in the book of Daniel called Life in Exile, Life for Eternity. And if you haven't grabbed the resources we have for you, make sure you get one of our discipleship guides so you know where we're at every week. Make sure to grab a scripture journal so you can take good notes. And then if you're uh, an elementary uh, aged student or or older, whatever, um, we've got a really great coloring sheet again this week. Um, It's chapter six, Daniel in the lion's den. So it's got a lion, which should be pretty terrifying if you're thinking about how the story really plays out. But there's also a crossword puzzle uh, just in case like you want to like mentally jack up your head while you're trying to listen to the sermon. So uh, we got all those resources for you. Um, If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, you can turn to Daniel chapter 6. And by way of introduction, we've been leading up to and overviewing the life of Daniel uh, and his friends and uh, some key people uh, in exile after the nation of Israel fell. After the nation of Israel did not walk in faithfulness, after the nation of Israel was conquered by the evil Babylonians and, and, and Daniel and his friends were brought in, right? They, they, they got kind of trained up in what it meant to be uh, an elite leader in Babylon. Uh, it's possible they were made eunuchs as well, so that's fun. Um, and then... Um, We saw that uh, God uh, showed his wisdom through dreams to an evil king, Nebuchadnezzar. And we saw that Nebuchadnezzar wasn't humbled by that, and he made this big, massive statue uh, all from gold from head to toe and said, come worship me, and if you don't, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to burn. And we saw that God was faithful to those men in that furnace. And the outcome of that was some greater humility. We also saw that Nebuchadnezzar was kind of in process for a while. It actually took him losing everything and, and finding himself cast out of the kingdom and, and crawling around on the ground like an animal to finally be in a place where he's so humbled he realizes how great God is. And that leads him to a path that ultimately goes from humility back to honor. Um, And so we're like, all right, this is great for Nebuchadnezzar. He's pretty awesome. And then we fast forward him. Now about uh, 20 years later, Daniel was in his maybe early 70s. There was a grandson king um, who uh, was just throwing a big raging party as the world around him was crumbling. We saw that last week. The writing was on the wall that he was found lacking and the judgment was coming to him. And it, it didn't go well for him. And out of that, the Medes and the Persians came in and completely ransacked Babylon, took over, and were reminded. And we see that the God that promised in chapter 2 of Daniel that there'd be a kingdom of gold, then a kingdom of silver, then a kingdom of bronze, then iron, and, and so on and so forth, that God is actively involved in the kingdoms of this world. And when he promises that they'll be of value and that they'll, they'll have parts of them that are glorious or strong or good, they'll ultimately come to an end. 
And so what an amazing thing we got to see in the story in chapter 5 that God's promises from chapter 2 were actually fulfilled. Babylon, done. Welcome to the Medes and the Persians administration. So they're in here. Daniel got promoted um, to like, you know, near head of Babylon right before um, this went down. Um, and so we're in a whole new kingdom now. And, and Daniel might be in his 80s, possibly even 90 years old. And he's seen some things. And you've got to imagine if you're Daniel, and the life you've lived grew up in a nation that then was slain and fell down, that, that, that trained up um, in this foreign land. And you've been given a promise. God's people were given a promise that exile would only last 70 years. And you're Daniel, and you're like, I feel like, I mean, God answered the, the promises and the dreams in chapter 2. We also, through some prophets, told our people that we'd be done with exile in 70 years. We're like, you're 64. We're at year 65. Like, we might make it. We, we might actually make it to, to not exile. Like, this is, this is pretty amazing. And, and yet, he's seen oppression. He's seen government overreach. He's seen things be completely tumultuous on a, you know, for him, a global scale. He's watched friends be persecuted. And yet, he's endured. And I wonder for some of us, maybe you, know, you come in this morning and, and, and maybe you're not a Christian, you haven't been part of a church, and you're like, you kind of haven't been you know, running what we call this race. But maybe some of you have been Christians for a long time. Maybe, maybe you've ran your race where you've launched your kids, or you're dealing with your grandkids, or, or whatever. And, 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 or maybe you're just a younger Christian, and you're like, you know, I've kind of been doing this for a while. I was really excited at the beginning. But man, last few years have been rough. What do we do when we legitimately start to question? Is, is what God said real? Like, is, is being faithful worth it? Do, do God's ways still work? And, and man, with, with all the turmoil and all the changes and everything being so unsettled for so long now, it seems, maybe only like two or three years, but, but probably longer, that like... It, is, is God quiet? Is he disengaged? Is he not involved? Because, I, I mean, one of my kids was asking me, like, well, Dad, like, I mean, if God's, like, big and he's in charge and he's powerful, like, what's going on right now? <laughs> I think these are real questions. How do we continue to endure when the temperature gets turned up and maybe our endurance begins to wane a little bit. I think that's some of what we see here in Daniel chapter 6, where really we're going to look at what is likely one of the most famous stories in, in all, all the Bible. I mean, probably everybody, whether you're a Christian or not, has heard about the idea of Daniel in the lion's den. That's what we're doing, and you're like, okay, I know where this sermon's going. Be faithful, blah, blah, blah. Well, let's, let's get there, and let's see what we have, uh, what God's Word, rather, has for us today. I've got Daniel chapter 6 broken up into a few different parts. Uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 9 first, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius, see, that's, that's the king of, of uh, the Medes and the Persians. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps because an excellent spirit 
was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction, sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. All right, well, if you're counting at home, we've used the word injunction three or four times in this section. We are like way deep into big government bureaucracy right here in these first couple verses of uh, Daniel chapter 6. And, and what's interesting, right, is you're seeing that, hey, there used to be this kingdom of Babylon that was ruled by big personalities. They had Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, they, they always had a big, strong king. Well, the Medes and Persians come in and they're like, we're kind of not, like, we got a king, but, like, we're, we're really, like, we, we really want to have a big, strong central government. And, and we want to have satraps and counselors and council people and kind of like, like, like all these layers and layers and layers of government. And, and, and out of that, in this system, even though Daniel was kind of the second in command of Babylon, like, weeks before, if you will, like, Daniel just rises to the top again. I mean, do you have any friends or do you know anybody that, like, it just doesn't matter what context they're in, they just crush it. There's no, like, well, you know, it's kind of tough. I mean, it was kind of a big deal in Babylon. Now the Medes and Persians showed up. It's like, no, they're just rolling with Daniel again. I mean, he was so talented when he was young. Like, it didn't matter, like, what like, area he was in. He was seen as this awesome, awesome dude. And he has this long career and he, uh, uh, he now is one of the top three officials in all of Medo-Persia. He has as many as 40 satraps that work under him, right? That's my math. You take 120 satraps, divide by three. And so like, he's got a lot of influence even as kind of like a, like a secondhand exile. I mean, like he got exiled from Israel. He's in Babylon. Babylon gets taken over by Medes and Persians. And they're still like, yeah, we want that guy in charge. And then the king's like, well, I don't really, I mean, I like being king, but I want somebody else really running the show so I can just kind of do my, my king thing. And he's like, you know what? Out of, out of all the officials, Daniel's the guy. Daniel's the guy. And we see right away, like, man, politics hasn't changed. Right? You're like, oh, well, things are so divisive right now. Well, I mean, we're not like throwing anybody in lion's dens yet, Right? Like, it ain't that bad. I mean, you know, you guys know I'm a big Hamilton fan. Like, that, that like, play ends with Alexander Hamilton getting shot in a duel. So politicians are going to politic. And jealous people are going to be jealous. And so they don't like that Daniel is, like, you know, the front runner for 2024. And so, like, what, 
we should do like a congressional investigation. Like, let's, let's subpoena him. Let's call him in. Or let's see if there's anything that his son did. Maybe he's got a laptop. I don't know, whatever. Like, pick your team. Either way, they're all really jacked up, okay? And so, but they, they do this character assassination of Daniel. And they're like, Daniel doesn't even have a Persian birth certificate. You know, like, oh, we can't vote for that guy. That's what's going on. And so they, they want to be in charge, and they, they are going after Daniel, character assassination, opposition research, and so they're, they're in their political action meeting, and they, they get everybody together, like, all right, we hired the consultants to go smear Daniel. What, what do you got for us, consultants? And they're like, he was a vegetarian for a while. I'll tell you, you lose my vote right there, right? If, if you're vegetarian, I'm not voting for you. I, I need somebody that wants to keep cows, like, you know, for food. Um, and so they're like, okay, he, did, he didn't do, uh, didn't do, he didn't do vegetables. He didn't do meat for a while. What, what else we got? It's pretty legit. Like no scandals. Like, you're like, wait, no scandals in like 70 years of political life. Okay. Can we disagree? Like none of us are as good as Daniel. Here's Daniel. They're like, we got nothing on him. The only way we can attack him is if we actually go after his primary allegiance, which wasn't to Babylon, or sure isn't to us as the Medo-Persians, he's got this God that he's faithful to. So if we're going to find something in Daniel, it's going to be a religious thing. He doesn't line up with, the, with the, the, the progressive or patriotic values we have as Medo-Persians. He is an obstacle to our progress because he acknowledges that there is an authority greater even than the law of the Medes and Persians. I mean, can we really trust him? He's not patriotic. He's not progressive. And so they go after him, and they're like, well, all right, what are we going to do? Okay, let's go get to the king, and 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 let's pass a new law that makes his religion, I mean, not outlawed for a while, but just just for 30 days. And so they go to the king, and as politicians always do, they oversell the support for their ideas. Everyone agrees. All the experts agree that the best thing to do would be for people to not pray to anybody else at all except you, King Darius. And King Darius is like, I like this plan. I like, I mean, we're trying to unify a nation here. I mean, we can't even agree if we're Medes or Persians, right? I mean, we've got like two parties probably in, in our system. Like, and you say, let's just get everybody, let's just have like a great reset where everybody just stops what they're doing and gets aligned with worshiping me. And the government says, everyone agrees with this. I mean, minor detail, who's not in that meeting? Daniel, right? Pretty sure Daniel in the meeting. I don't know what he's doing. Like I said, he's 90. Maybe he's taking a nap. Who knows? Okay, right? He's not there. And, and, and they, they, let's pass a new law. And, and there's all this legalese in these first few verses. Ordinance, enforce, injunction, petition, documents, mandate, you know, whatever. Like, there's all this flowy language. But what does it end up being? It's state-sponsored religious persecution and state-sponsored murder. Like, they're never like, hey, can we pass the murder law? No, no, they're just like, well, it's like the, like, you know, um, making patriotic purity test deal. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we want that. They never just write murder on the document, but that's what they're doing. 
It's government like way out kicking their coverage on this stuff. And, and, and it's guys trying to just take out their political opponents because we got nothing else on him. And so Darius buys into it because he buys the lie from the beginning that you can just rewrite the law and make yourself more important. And I say the lie from the beginning because that's how the Bible begins. God had one basic ordinance. Hey, eat from anything you want. Just don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Because you know good, but if you do that, you're going to know evil too. And a lie entered into creation that said, actually, you, you can change God's law, and in doing so, you can make yourself God. Hey, the reason God doesn't want you to do that is he knows that if you do that, you're going to be just like him. Because God, God knows it all, and you only know this much. Darius buys into this an age-old lie. It's the same one that we do uh, as well um, when we begin to, to see ourselves as larger than we are and forget how dependent we are on God. And so the law gets passed, it gets signed. Ironically, Darius signs this law that doesn't give him godlike powers, it actually ties his hands. Because like they were like a constitutional land of laws, so you couldn't just do whatever you wanted. It's like, oh, oh, we just passed an amendment to the Constitution that says, you know, you're, you're not going to pray to anybody for 30 days. And what they set up, what these, these guys set up, these leaders, was an intentional conflict created for a disciple of God between the law of man and God's law. They're creating an intentional conflict. And so Daniel now has a choice in how he's going to respond. Whether he was involved in the process or not, the document's been signed. It's out there. This is the law of the land for the next 30 days. And we see how Daniel responds here in verses 10 through 18. Let's keep it going. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house we had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He caught down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Hold on to that. As he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making peti petition and pleading before his God. And they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, um, Oh, king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O oh, king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, This thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, one of those exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored until the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and the Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And the king commanded him. And Daniel brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet, with the signet of his lords. 
that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. So here we are, right? There's a lot of similarities between chapter 6 here, right? And what Daniel, or sorry, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went through back in chapter 3 with the fiery furnace that, um, that Nebuchadnezzar has brought up. And while there's, there's some um, significant uh, uh, similarities, there's also a lot of differences. See, what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were called to do in Daniel chapter 3 was Come and actively participate in idolatry. Actively worship the statue that we just set up, that we are now calling God, and is out in this field, you know, this suburb of Babylon. Come and worship. And if you don't bow, you're going to burn. So you can worship your own God. We don't care. That's fine. You do you. But at the end of the day, everyone bows or burns. Well, it's shifted from pluralism that really was secularism for, for worshiping whatever the government says. And now it's shifted from that to not bow or burn, but no, you better abstain from your religion or you'll be slain. So it's different. You don't, you don't get to kind of have your personal religious faith and then who you are publicly, right? right? No, it's, you, you can't do that at all. You're You're, you're done. You can't worship any god but government publicly or privately. And it's, there's that same tension or temptation to compromise and conform to a changing culture. I mean, like we said for Daniel, like, Daniel, man, you're in your 80s. You're in your 90s. Man, you, are, you are four, five, six years away from, from exile being done, and you can finally go home. What's 30 days? Daniel, hey, um, I don't know if you know this, you're nominated for like king of everything. If you could just make it to the election without getting indicted, we can win this thing. And you're in charge. Imagine the good Daniel could do. Uh, Daniel 2024, like yes, like, king over everything. He'll be so great. He's going to build back better and make America or Babylon great again. Oh, never mind. Babylon's done. Medo-Persians. All right, whatever. It's bad. Just can you just calm down on your kind of religious zeal? I mean, listen, everybody for 30 days is going to do this. Like, you're really going to stand out if you don't follow the government's mandate on this one for 30 days. And so Daniel, here's the document signed, is 100% aware of the consequences. And he's like, all right, well, it's morning, it's noon, it's night. I'm going to go up to the top of my rooftop uh, kind of, you know, deck, and I'm going to open up, uh, look towards Jerusalem, because I'm going to remember, like, Jerusalem at that point represented where God would dwell on the earth in, in, in the temple. I mean, we don't worship a place. We worship a person. We worship Jesus. But for him, he's like, I just want to remember God dwells there in Jerusalem. And so he prays. And what is amazing is that phrase that's in there, as he had done previously, now, we don't know if that was for a few years or a few decades, but what we do know is at the beginning of Daniel's run in Babylon, it said he was resolved to not be defiled. And his resolve carried him clearly decades, five, six, into the seventh decade of being faithful. 
And I think we, we read some of this and we're like, wow, I mean, like, he's so faithful. You know, I mean, he was ready to stand up to, to you know, ready to be martyred. And yet, Daniel was just doing what Daniel had always done. See, I, I do believe that trials can kind of like reveal to us a little bit about our character, can reveal to us, you know, how to endure but, but I think it, we get it wrong if we think that like, oh, I'll be faithful when stuff gets tough. I mean, when it, when it really gets oppressive, like, 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 man, if there really was like a famine, then I'll be really, really generous to share with other people. I just want to submit to you. If you or I or us, if we're not being faithful when things are, are good or easy, I, I don't think it's going to go well for us when things get tougher. And, and I think like, I mean, I, I taught actually these verses about six or seven years ago. And when I did, uh, I looked at my notes and it said, man, heaven help us if our government ever tells us we can't gather as a church. And then they did. And hey, you know, for a time and a season, we, we said, hey, let's just go online. We'll just do it. You know, hey, a couple weeks. Or so, like, that, that's all great and fine and good. Right? We're all just kind of navigating our way. But like, there's people I know that like, they don't gather anymore. They don't read their Bible regularly. They don't pray. And, and you like, you, you get frustrated. And I'm saying we, I, all of us, people get frustrated like, what's wrong with the soul of our nation? Well, why don't we just start in here? What's wrong with our community? Well, let's start with our families. Man, what's wrong with the church? Let's just start here. And let's just, let's just be people that regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in, are people of prayer, people of reliance on God for guidance, for wisdom, for power, for provision, for all of those things. Be people who are so saturated with God's word that no matter what the drumbeat is in Daniel 3 or whatever the decrees are from the government in Daniel chapter 6, that we're like, I'm relying on God and who he is. I believe God's promises. I need God's presence. I rely on his provision. I know he's powerful and he's promised he's going to return and I know how this story ends so I can endure no matter what. And I'm not saying, hey, let's go be defined to the government. Like, oh. We are not there. I was joking. I forget what I was joking with today. I was like, maybe I said at the beginning of the sermon, my brain's already scrambled eggs. Like, we aren't at the place of throwing people in the lion's dens yet, okay? And I don't think we're even... Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Be faithful. The invitation is one of peace. The invitation is one of reliance on God regardless of what the circumstances are. Daniel knew what he was doing. It wasn't like Daniel was like, oh man, I hadn't, hadn't got the latest updates on what we're supposed to do here. I'm just kind of doing my own thing. Daniel's like, oh, just heard the announcement. If I pray, uh, I have to abstain or I'm going to be slain. And so what does Daniel do? Immediately goes up to pray. And here's what's amazing. I know what my prayer would be like. I want you to think about what would your prayer be like if a mandate went out that if we find the Bible app on your phone, like we're going to blow up your phone and you're going to die. <laughs> I'll get that off quick. I wonder if they found out from TikTok. Yeah, probably. Okay, right? Like, like how, what would your prayer be? God, smite my enemies. I mean, I'm probably going for that one. No, Daniel's prayer, thanksgiving? Like, gratitude and gratefulness? I mean, 
feel like the antidote to, to fear and the antidote to apathy and the, the antidote to, to a lot of like, like anxiety, uh, I, I don't mean like, like, you know, if you need a medication, I mean like the, the, the antidote that we are given to reorient our hearts is prayer. And it's not just prayer. Hey, God, fix this situation. I'm like, those are okay prayers. Keep praying those prayers when you're in a tough situation. But part of how your orientation changes, no matter what your situation is, is prayers of gratitude. Being reminded, how has God worked before? I mean, for Daniel, he's like, hey, I remember when me and my bros all prayed and we learned like what the king's dream was and we saved like a whole bunch of these guys who are probably satraps now trying to get me killed. I remember when, when my buddies, like, like they didn't bow. They said, you know, our God can save, but if they don't, whatever. I trust God. And, and they were in the furnace and nothing happened to them. And the presence of God met them in their furnace. And I remember when, when King Grandma or Queen Grandma wakes me up and says, there's a raging party going on downstairs. The world's about to end outside and my grandson is throwing this party and he's defiling all these religious artifacts and this, this hand came on the wall and it like really spooked me out like, Daniel, could you, could you give him a good word? And like, oh, I can give him a word. I'll give him three. Might not be good. And he saw God act. And he's seen God's mercy to humble the proud. He's seen God's justice to bring to end when pride will not relent. So he's like, what's some lions? God called me to be faithful. God called me to be faithful. See, faith isn't something that we deposit. It's something deposited into us by God. Faith isn't something that, like, like, it's not like, hey, if you've been faithful for a long time, then you're going to, like, no, it's given to us by God. But there are ways that we can fan the flame. There are ways that we can continue, to, like Christians talk about walking in, in discipline. Like, like, to be a disciple of Jesus does include some level of discipline. It doesn't mean, like, you know, be a jerk and only drink Diet Coke and don't watch those movies. Like, no, like, to be in communion with God in prayer to be encouraged and edified and, and, and have your heart and mind illuminated by God's word, to be encouraged by gathering with God's people. I mean, it's only been two years, guys, but like, like there was a longing. There was this like, hey, I don't think I understand what Christianity looks like if it doesn't include being with other people. That's because we're not supposed to experience Christianity that's not part of other people. So something in you compelled you this morning to come and gather here with this fellowship of God's people. Something's compelling congregations of God's people all over this county, all over this region, all over this country, all over this world on Sunday mornings to come and gather. There's a discipline to that. When my alarm hit six this morning, I, I was like, oh, is it Sunday? Who's preaching? Do I like that guy? Shoot, it's me. Okay, let's go. Right? There's a discipline aspect to it. You read God's word on the daily. You're in prayer. You take communion and you're reminded what Jesus did for you. You give. You serve. You encourage. This is the Christian life. And no matter what government says or culture says or, or people who are deconstructing say or people who are leaving the faith say, like you and I and we just keep doing what we've done previously. Like 
I might mention it again next week, but I, this week I was, I was actually in a church building in eastern Oregon where um, the, the, the pastor and his wife were there, and they had just two weeks earlier preached, he had preached his last sermon to one person. And they were done. Their run was over. And there was this sadness that kind of overtook me. It was in a rural community, and you could kind of see some of the bleakness in the, the town around it. And, and I'm like, oh man, this is, this is a loss for the kingdom. And we're part of a church network called Church Venture, and as we're, we're leaving um, that and, and, you know, been given ownership of the building to kind of steward for the next deal, we realize, oh wait, that town is like, used to be 20%, but probably now 40, maybe even 50% um, Hispanic and overwhelmingly um, Spanish speaking. Oh, we've got a guy who speaks Spanish at a church in Hillsboro that's like, I feel like I'm called to like a rural context to like lead a church. So in the next year, we're going to plant a, sp- a Spanish-speaking church in Nyssa, Oregon. And I'm like, oh, the kingdom doesn't shrink. The names change, the language changes, some cultural things change. The kingdom grows and grows and grows. And so, like, it can be discouraging if you see a, a church getting smaller or closing its doors or whatever, but like, no, no, we are reminded to keep doing what we've done previously, that the church, God's people, like we endure, and we've got a promise that all the way back even from Daniel chapter 2, that a rock strikes the statues of our kingdoms, scatters it, and a mountain comes up that encompasses the whole earth, every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we don't have to fear whatever's going on with government or culture or the trajectory of, of our church or the church. Because we know the trajectory of the church is glorious. And Daniel's seen it all. He's seen kingdoms change, leaders change, opponents change, laws change. The one thing that hasn't changed for Daniel, the Lord. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. I could repeat that every single week because I think we need to hear it every single week. No matter what's happened. And so, he prays. And as he prays, and, and even, I wonder if as he's praying gratitude, he's, he's, maybe, maybe he's praying gratitude that like Belshazzar's gone and Babylon's done and that the Medes and the Persians are here. I don't know. He was probably like, Medes and Persians, I could, I could get down with these guys. They're all right. And then he's like, oh shoot, this isn't going to go well. But he's praying gratitude, but I think he knows, oh, I'm in the silver kingdom now. There was gold, now there's silver. Bronze is coming. They're going to have their day. No matter what they do to me, their day's coming. And then whatever happens, the bronze guys do that isn't great. Then iron comes, then clay, and so on and so forth, because he's reminded, how does this go? And the guys respond, the satraps and the um, counselors, all these guys, they respond, and they're like, oh, we got him. We got him. We just got to tell the government, these guys aren't following your mandate, king. We got him. It's broadcasted all over the news. Let's, let's go for it. And... and they go and remind the king of the new law, the consequences. The king's like, yeah, yeah, that's the law. That's the consequences. And then immediately they bring charges against Daniel. And just like Belshazzar did in chapter 5, they question Daniel based on his race. He's one of those people from Judah. I mean, again, he doesn't have a Medo-Persian birth certificate. He is not progressive. He is not patriotic enough for us. And what you see from the king is that 
He's actually for Daniel. Right? Nebuchadnezzar has Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, uh, you know, uh, rebel against his edict, and he gets enraged, and he gets angry. Now, we see here, Darius is a big fan of Daniel. I mean, remember, he's about to appoint him king over everything, or, you know, highest official over everything. His heart's broken. He's distressed over what will happen to him. He's like, oh, I did not anticipate this scenario happening when I instituted the law. I mean, I just thought the law made me king god of the universe. What could go wrong, you know? And, and so... Now he's seeing his limited power. This king wants to save. He's got good intentions, but he's powerless to actually save because he's not a true savior. He's not the king of kings. And so the officials start crying out, the law, the law, the law. Man's law says Daniel is condemned and should die. That's often the point of a lot of political power is not to promote flourishing, but is to condemn enemies. As jealousies and rivalries and parties and nationalities and nations rage, right? And so this king has no choice but to follow through because it, on the other hand, a kingdom without any rules at all falls into chaos, right? And so the king shifts his appeal from the law to the saving mercy of Daniel's God. Daniel's been placed in the lion's den. There's no like, what's interesting about this, you don't hear some speech from Daniel, right? I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were like, our God can save it. If he doesn't, whatever, deuces. And instead, Daniel, like a lamb led to slaughter, just quietly goes in. We have no recorded words from him. He's about to have a stone sealed over him. He's about to be devoured by lions. His story is about to end. And he's not like, hey, by the way, you guys got seven more years until the Israelites get to go back home. Nothing. Not by the way, you know, I, ho I hope like, you know, hellfire rains down on you and your enemies or my enemies. Nope. The king Watch, watch Daniel go down silently and he says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. I think as we read this, I mean, something happens in me and I wonder if it happens in you as well, that when you read about people who are super faithful, like a Daniel, you're like, well, that's great for Daniel. I'm not that faithful. Like, I think I started a Bible reading plan once, right? Like, I, th I think like, yeah, I remember one time I got really moved in a sermon or maybe like a pastor yelled a lot and I was convicted and like, I gave 20 bucks in the offering once kind of deal. Like, oh, I remember I signed up to serve uh, in Mercy Kids. I didn't show up, but I, I, I was like, I, was, I think I was all in for like a day. You know, like, you're like, I'm just, you know, I don't really love my neighbor. Well, I mean, I like that one, that one not so much. And, we, and something kind of takes over us where we're like, I'm really not that faithful. Would God want to save me too? Has God? Save me? See, I think that gets us into a trap of, of what we talk about as legalism. That God will save you if you are faithful. Like, we all agree, God should save Daniel. He, was, he went through a lot. I mean, my life's pretty easy. Legalism says you serve God continually, and he will save you. And as you get older and older, just keep holding on tighter and tighter and tighter. I'm getting close to that finish line. I hope I don't, like, really send it up in these last couple years. Hope something doesn't happen to me on my drive home. Legalism says you serve God continually and he'll save you. Gospel says you've been delivered and saved. Now go serve God continually. 
You've been set free. You've been saved. As Christians, who our faith and trust is in Jesus, you being saved, you being delivered, God blessing you is not dependent on your faithfulness, but Jesus' faithfulness in your place. And then we live lives of response. So we can have conversations around disciplines, around gathering, around giving, around you know, intentionally growing, about being on mission and you know, like living lives of you know, pursuing purity, all these different things. We can talk about those because it's not dependent on whether we're saved or not. And so Daniel goes down. Darius is faced with the reality that he's powerless. He's distraught. He can't or he won't. He, he avoids distraction and he has this sleepless night. And that leads us here to verses 19 through 24. 19 through 24 says this. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you served continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him, and also before you, O king. I've done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Then the king commanded those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them, broke all of their bones into pieces. We don't have a coloring sheet for the last part of this. Okay? Right? We're like... Daniel slept with the lions. Like, it was great. It was awesome. Like, we even have a mural in this church um, from the, uh, a previous church that was in here that drew Daniel as, like, a jacked-up, like, 35-year-old action figure sleeping with the, uh, the lions. And it's like, guy was 90. He ain't fighting a lion. He ain't running from a lion. The lions might not have eaten him because they're like, I don't even know if there's enough meat on the bones. Right? So what happened, right? The king wakes up, Darius can't sleep, he rushes to the den, and there was a Persian tradition that if you have made it through 24 hours of some deep trial, you got released. So he spent his time in the den, and he cries out, Daniel, you serve this living God. And in saying that, he's saying, you have faith in a real God. You have faith in a real deity. Like, like I have a piece of paper that says, I'm Darius King God, but like you have a guy that can actually do something. I wanted to save you and couldn't. You have a God who can save. Has he? Has he saved you, Daniel? Have you made it through the trial? Daniel, was your God able to save? And I mean, you knew the answer before I got there. I've, I paused for a moment just because I'm wondering for Darius, how long was that pause before he heard Daniel say, oh, king, live forever. He's like, oh, God really does save. I think sometimes we, we go about as Christians and maybe we've experienced a level of salvation. We've experienced some freedom from sin. We've experienced some joy and communion with the Lord. We've experienced like allegiance with Jesus. And we're like, yep, Jesus is my God and King. He's my Savior. He's my Lord. I follow him. That's the team I'm on. And it kind of gets into routine. And then we forget God saves. 
And so we've got people we pray for. And we wonder, will God save them? And I think, I, I wish actually some of us had more of a heart like Darius. God, have you saved them yet? God, have they made it through? Like, you see him in a place of, of, of heartbreak and anguish because Darius, like us, realizes he's powerless. We are powerless to save anyone. Right? You got a friend, you got a relative, you got a kid, whatever. You're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get them there. I'm going to break their addiction for them. I'm going to heal their marriage. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make them walk faithfully in, in terms of gender and sexuality. Like, I'm going to make sure, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make sure we don't save anybody. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we do believe in a God who saves. And Darius goes from a place of anguish to joy at the evidence that God has saved his friend. At the evidence that God has saved his friends. Daniel replies, God saved me. Yeah, my God, he actually created lions. In fact, there's lions around here, Darius. Our God created them. My God created them. He can create lions and he can shut their mouths. And he did. Daniel doesn't say, I endured, I made it, I got some ninja skills, I hid in the corner, you know, I went full, you know, Luke Skywalker from whichever one he's fighting the Rancor, you know, threw a rock out, I don't know. Nope, just, my God saves. He shut the mouths of lions. The world can pronounce unchangeable condemnation, but our God provides unchangeable salvation. Daniel was as dead as they come. And yet God saved him. And it says that he's blameless. It doesn't mean that he's sinless. It just means that he's law-abiding, that his allegiance is to God, that he's also not an opponent of Darius. He's not like down with the Medes and Persians. You know, he's just like, no, I'm on your team, Darius. I'm for you, but I'm for God. And it says that the mouths were closed, and that's so that we know that they weren't previously fed, they weren't drugged. No, they're, they're vicious lions. We got that in those last verses, right? And so his anguish transforms to joy at the revelation of God's saving work in the life of his friend. And I wonder how much of Daniel's deliverance from the lion den wasn't just for Daniel, but was for Darius to see the work of God in the life of his friend. Because it moves him from a place of like, ah, Daniel, I think you have a God, to like, oh my goodness. Your God does save. Your God does deliver. Your God is alive. See, it's in this pit of the harshness of the law where we get overwhelmed by the saving work of God. I mean, Daniel was, he's by himself, he has an angel that comes, which is great, but there's moments that you feel like you kind of have to go it alone. I mean, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they at least kind of had a community group, you know, accountability group, kind of hanging out together in the fire. Daniel needed nothing but the presence of God because it was his time to endure alone. We'll all have times where we're going to endure alone, but they should not lead us to despair because we're never alone. They should lead us to places of reliance on God. Uh, Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, planted a bunch of churches, he went through a lot of trials similar to Daniel. And he says this in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 18, writing to a younger pastor after he had gone through a really difficult time. At my first defense, this is verse 16, no one came to stand by me. All deserted me. 
may not be charged against them. He's like, yeah, they had good reasons. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be more fully proclaimed to all the Gentiles, meaning like everybody that wasn't an Israelite, like us, might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's the God that saved Daniel. It's the same God that saved Paul. It's the same God that, Lord willing, I believe, saved me. It's the same God that saves you. He says, you're going to be brought safely into the heavenly kingdom. That doesn't mean everything you experience is going to be easy now. But it does mean you're going to be delivered. And so, how does Darius respond? Well, we saw that. Darius, he's, he, he still needs to work out some discipleship. Right? He might believe in the God of the Bible, but he's a little violent. So he's like, all right, you know what we need to do? Political purge. Just an old school political purge. You know, just, just you know, like any old leader in the 20th century. Just take everybody that was against Daniel and just, just throw them all in the lion's den. Just them? No, let's go with family and kids too. We're not starting that ministry. And as Christians, we shouldn't be calling for it either. As Christians, we should desire the salvation of our enemies the way Jesus desired our salvation when we were enemies to him as sinners. And we should pray for them. And we should desire their humility and desire that they receive the same mercy and grace that we do. But let's not forget that God is just. See, just like Haman in the book of Esther made this big gallows to hang Mordecai, he was hung himself. Uh, these guys wanted to see their political opponent thrown into the lion's den. What did they get? They got justice. They got justice. So Darius enacts that, and then he closes with this, and, and we'll close here in a moment. Chapter 6, verses 25 through 28. After he's finished the political purge, he goes out and preaches. He says this. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, languages that dwell on the earth. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he's the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius, the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Man, here we are, chapter 4. Chapter 6, a couple of pagan kings using their platform to preach what's true about God to all the nations. May it be so in our day. That every knee bows, every tongue confesses, every king and president and ruler of nations and governments all declare what is true about God. But while we could long for that, Let's just start here first. That we, that I, that you, and me would be ones who proclaim peace to the world through the saving God whose name is Jesus. He says, peace multiplied. He says, God is eternal, enduring forever. 
yep, our kingdoms will come to an end, but God won't. He rescues, and, and, and for Daniel, it was a temporary salvation, but our God grants us, promises us, endows us with an eternal salvation. And he leads us and rescues us to a place of eternal prosperity. Daniel is saved from the power of lions, and, 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 and the reality is we need to be saved from something else, and that is the consequences of our sin that does lead to condemnation. We need to be saved from hell. We need to be saved from the eternal consequences of rejecting God. You might not know you need that, but you need that. And we don't have a God who's like super eager to throw us into a pit. We have a God who saves us in our pits, who saves us in the lion's den. So we see Daniel, and, and as I close, he is this foreshadow of the saving work that God does in and through Jesus. Daniel was framed falsely by jealous leaders. Jesus was framed falsely by religious leaders. Daniel was arrested during a time of private prayer, praising the character of God, petitioning God to change the circumstances, but resolved to follow God. When was Jesus arrested? In a garden, praying privately, praising who God is, petitioning, take this cup of wrath from me, and yet being resolved, not my will, but your will be done. Daniel trusts God, is silent before his accusers. Jesus trusts his father, and he's silent before his accusers. Darius was troubled because he couldn't pardon Daniel, and he works for his release. Pilate, the Roman governor, troubled he cannot pardon Jesus, works for his release. Both Darius and Pilate turn over an innocent man to be executed by the state. Daniel goes into the pit, lives, emerges unharmed. Jesus goes to the cross. When we take communion, remember that his body was broken for us in the, in the bread. Remember that his blood was shed for us in the cup. Jesus was not unharmed. He was bloodied, beaten, and Jesus died. Daniel is sealed by a royal decree in the pit with a stone rolled over it that everyone believed would become a tomb. Jesus, after he died, his body was placed in a tomb, sealed by a royal decree that it should not be opened, and yet that stone was rolled away and that tomb just became a pit. Daniel is met by a king who expects him to be dead. Daniel's alive, but he does... He does die one day. I don't think we're, he sees Daniel walking around. Jesus is met by his followers who expect him to be dead, but he's alive and he will never die. Jesus comes out, and, or Daniel comes out and experiences prosperity and authority during the reign, it says, of Darius and Cyrus. We worship King Jesus who is alive, who says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him for eternity. Because Daniel lived, Darius preaches about a God who saves from lions. Because Jesus lives, we preach about a God who saves for eternity. And when our king labors in distress to save us, he's not impotent like Darius. No, our king actually goes into the pit for us and suffers and dies and takes our consequence for us. He sees that none of us will make it through the trial of the lion's den. None of us will make it through the furnace. 
So Jesus endures it for us so that we can be granted victory. Our king knows we can't handle the trial. He endures for us so that we can be delivered into heaven with no kind of harm. So I want you to ask yourself, where is your faith? Where is your hope? Are you an opponent like the satraps? Guess what? None of us are talking about them anymore. Their legacy is over. Are you like Darius, kind of maybe pluralistic, like kind of still seeking things out? Can I just invite you to a place of surrender? Can I call you to a place of certainty that there is a God who lives and his name is Jesus? That this day is your day to to surrender and, and not just experience salvation, but freedom? To be granted joy, to have eternity secure and have presence with God and his people from now until that day in which Jesus comes back? Leave ambiguity. Surrender and be certain that Jesus saves, that Jesus lives. Embrace the certainty that Daniel has in a living God who is mighty to save. And today is your day to simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.